0: Together as we read the scriptures tonight, and if you could, uh, if you're able, remain standing for our uh, last hymn after that. Hebrews 11 verse uh, 17 to verse 22. The title of the message tonight is uh, "Dying Testimonies," uh, or I should say it this way: "Testimonies of the Dying." All right. Uh, and verse 17 in Hebrews chapter 11, as we're working our way through the 11th chapter, the faith chapter. Verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and uh, he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. And our Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, as we consider the scriptures uh, tonight, regarding these men who at the ends of their lives were giving testimonies about some remarkable things we pray uh, that you would help us to take in what uh, the message is for us and apply it to our lives today thank you for those that trusted you as their savior this morning we pray to help them grow in christ and pray for those that are to follow you in believers baptism and that you would uh, bless them as they stay, take that step of obedience we ask your blessing on us tonight as we consider uh, your word and as we respond by the Holy Spirit's leading tonight we pray that you'd show us what we're supposed to do and we need your help Lord we pray that you bless it now in Jesus name amen and if you would remain standing for our last hymn now number 838 838 end of their life's course and had something very important to say uh, we're told that the testimony of a dying individual bears extra weight in common law. It's been argued that uh, there's no reason left for him to lie about anything, and so there's a sense of extra um, weight that is given to such testimony as that when someone's coming to the end of their lives. Uh, um, there's there's no just justification for lying when you're dying. <laughs> so uh, so uh, testimony like that is important thing. And here's the testimony. We read several times in the passage about uh, uh, people coming to the end of their life and giving a a word about things that uh, they have seen and things that they know will come to pass. As you uh, see that uh, uh, portion there that we began with in verse, um, what was it, verse 19 or so, uh, he said, accounting that God was uh, able, he's talking about Isaac as he's getting ready to sacrifice uh, his son, about Abraham was getting ready to sacrifice his son Isaac and and Abraham is is accounting that God would be able to raise him up from the dead, even if he did uh, plunge the knife into his heart, and so, or use the knife as they would have to sever the uh, throat and and let the let him bleed out like they would a sacrificial lamb. But uh, uh, he, so he his thought was that even if God brings that to pass, that God allows that uh, sacrifice to go forward that God would miraculously raise his son up from the dead because he believed God and by faith he understood that the promise had already been made that by Isaac a great nation would uh, would come and so he understood that and he by faith trusted God for that even when it came to the point where he was taking out the knife and preparing for the sacrifice of his own uh, his only begotten son the only son that was heir to promise the only son Isaac and Sarah I mean Abraham and Sarah so uh, and but it says there's something remarkable below that it says uh, accounting that God was able to raise him up from the dead from whence also he received him in a figure how was it that it was as though he'd received him from the dead already well look back to uh, what we looked at earlier I think it's verse 12 um, yeah verse 12 He said, therefore, he's talking about uh, the nation of Israel through Abraham and Sarah. He said, therefore, uh, sprang there even of one. That's Abraham is referring to there. Therefore, sprang there even of one and him as good as dead. So many as the stars of the sky for multitude and as the sand, which is by the seashore innumerable. So this is the figure where uh, this son was already given as one that was as good as dead, and I will have thought that curious and thought that rather humorous that uh, the Lord uh, refers to Abraham that way. He's as good as dead. You know, uh, he had some time to go yet. He lived another uh, forty years after that. But uh, but as far as his ability to uh, have children anymore, and Sarah's ability to have children, that was. That time was past, you know, that train had left the station. So uh, so uh, here he's saying in a figure he's already been received as a son, as one that was as good as dead, one that it took a miracle to bring about uh, his life in the first place. And so Abraham wasn't struggling too much with the thought that God would continue his miracle work in the life of his son, even if it came to the place where He would slay the son, but he had the confidence even uh, going up the mount. Do you remember what he said to his son when his son, uh, when Isaac said, "Uh, I see the the fire and the wood, but uh, I don't see the sacrifice. And his father said, "Uh, don't concern yourself with it, son. God will provide himself uh, a ram for the sacrifice. And so uh, God provided himself indeed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, later on. But here we see this uh, accounting of several people, that, and in the accounting we see the end of their life being, uh, being a reference here. So let's take a, a look at a few of them just for a few moments before we have our time together as we uh, do the communion time. And Let's look at Isaac, first of all. Here he is. He's, uh, he's at the end of the line. He's, he sees two great nations that uh, are not yet formed, that uh, by faith he sees them. Uh, Those two lines that would be uh, the offspring of his two sons, uh, Jacob and Esau. Uh, We don't have a great deal said at all. We don't have really anything said at all about Esau's faith. He was, uh, as we read of him, we, we find him to be a profane man, an individual who was more concerned with what was happening at the present rather than what would be happening down the road. All through the course of his testimony, we see his concerns being that which is here and now, that which I have gained, that which I want. Uh, and all of those kinds of things are kind of the attitude we see of Esau. And you see in the Bible where God said, and some that are confused about the uh, the, the uh, error of Calvinism, some of them use the example and they say, well, here God already said before they were born, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. And so God already, uh, you know, threw him under the bus before he was ever born, so to speak, says the Calvinist. But uh, what the Calvinist fails to understand is the foreknowledge of God. God, as we saw with Philip this morning, uh, God knew what uh, kind of a man Esau would be because God is outside the boundaries of time. God knew that he would be a man that was after his own interests and after his own desires. God knew that he would make those choices before he ever made those choices. And so God knew those things beforehand. God's uh, God's uh, foreknowledge is what comes into play here, not the the idea that God somehow programmed you in sort of a robotic way and you're just routinely living out a preordained uh, path that you have no, uh choices in and that you cannot alter in any way oh yes you can alter your path you can lengthen your life or shorten your life there's choices and decisions that you can make uh that will make a difference in the length of your life in the quality of your life uh, there are certainly choices that you, you and i make every day relating to those things that alter things that would otherwise happen and so uh yes this uh concept uh, of uh, Jacob and Esau was based on the fact that God knew beforehand here's a profane man here's a self-serving man here's an individual who values uh, the immediate above the eternal and so that was the way Esau lived his life he satisfied himself with the fulfillment of his very present desires he was uh, I I like the fact that uh, he was a man of the woods he liked uh, the hunting he liked to be out uh, uh in the, you know in the wild and i like that and that uh, characteristic i don't care for jacob's attitude of you know being wanting to be home baking brownies with mom all the time and so i didn't like that about jacob very much but uh uh but nonetheless uh, esau proved to be a, a man who was uh, was looking for satisfaction from himself and for himself in the present desires of his life fulfilled you know that he sold his birthright his firstborn. He sold his birthright to Jacob for a mess of pottage, for a bowl of beans. You know, and so uh, for the immediate satisfaction. For uh, though he claimed he would die if he didn't get that bowl of beans, obviously he was just wanting immediate satisfaction for a, a present uh, appetite that he had. So this is kind of individual that we find with Esau. So we don't see uh, about we don't see anything about Esau's faith and uh, we do, though, about Jacob's faith. Now, Jacob had a faltering faith early on, and he had a faulty faith, certainly, early on, but as the time goes on, and, and as his uh, name, as he wrestles with the angel of God, the messenger of God to, uh, in, the, um, in the wilderness, and as he, his name is changed from Jacob to Israel, we see a change, too, in the strength of his faith, and we see uh, Jacob finally starting to get it toward the end of his life and really uh, really take hold. His faith really takes hold. Uh, it's exercised more in the, in the later years and, uh, and we see this we see this exercise in his blessing of, of Joseph, his favorite son, and the blessing of Joseph's, son, sons actually, Eve, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, when uh, Jacob gives the blessing upon them. And we don't have time to go back and read it, but if you read Genesis chapter 48, verse 1 through 4, we see what uh, we see a difference in Jacob's testimony, in his dying testimony, as he's blessing Ephraim, as he's blessing Manasseh, uh, he testifies of his salvation, he testifies of the grace of God in his life and saving him, and he recalls all the blessings that God had blessed him with over the period of years, and he recites God's promises of a Great nation that would come out of his lineage there in verse four of that forty-eighth chapter of Genesis. So all of those things uh, uh, work together to uh, identify the fact that uh, that Jacob's uh, you know uh, testimony as of his faith at the end of his life was was solid. And um, here we have Joseph then in the picture as we've just read down through these men. We have Joseph here, and now he's he's uh, at the end of his life too, and he's given his dying testimony. But let's, let's back up and take a look at the passage that's referred to here in the, uh, in the uh, text that we read. Let's go back to Genesis 50, Genesis chapter 50, and let's look at uh, the end here, uh, to, right toward the end of um, the life of uh, Joseph, and as it's coming to a, a close, uh, uh, and the testimony that he relates concerning his brothers and concerning his bones. And so we have this here in uh, Genesis chapter 50, verse 14. Genesis chapter 50, verse 14. Joseph uh, returned to Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went up with him to bury his father. After he had buried his his father, and after he had buried his father, when uh, Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto the evil, and now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of the servants of God, of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass that it is this day to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And so here in uh, this passage in the uh, life of Joseph, toward the end of his life, uh, we're seeing someone who is filled with faith and is a man who's living in faith. Joseph's been a man that's lived by faith for quite a long time. And he's uh, different from his brothers in that respect. His brothers weren't men of faith. And we don't see a lot about them concerning their faith. We uh, know that they were taught the same things as Joseph was, but Joseph was the individual that, uh, that put to practice his faith and that actually lived by faith. We see it over and over again in Joseph's life. We wonder about him early on when he's talking about the dreams and it almost sounds like he's, you know, uh, bragging about it and so on. But, uh, but uh, that's not the case. He's just repeating what God has revealed to him to his brothers, to his mother and father. And, of course, they take umbrage at that, and they're not happy about what he says. And they become more and more bitter against him, especially as they see him uh, trying to please his mother and father, trying to live in a fashion that's contrary to theirs, trying to live in a selfless way. And so they see all of that, and it seems they grow more and more angry, more and more bitter against uh, their youngest brother, uh, their youngest sibling there. But as time goes by, we see the difference in the conduct and attitude and the spirit of these two uh, sets. We see the one set of brothers all acting after the same fashion, after their own interest. And then we see Joseph sold into slavery and still living by faith and then, uh, and then uh, entering into Potiphar's house and then going to jail and still living by faith and trusting God and eventually being elevated to the highest place in the kingdom of uh, of Egypt. And so we see all of that taking place, and we know that Joseph is a great example of his faith. But I want us to see something else here to, tonight. I want us to see that here's someone faithful, and that one person that's faithful has a tremendous influence on those he comes in contact with. So one person's faithfulness can have a tremendous impact. Your faithfulness in in any area, in every area as a Christian, can have a remarkable impact upon others. Just your simple faithfulness to God, your simple faithfulness to write can have a tremendous impact on others. Uh, We're thankful for the good report that Janice gave. Uh, She was able to lead another one of her uh, grandchildren to Christ uh, here while they were back up in uh, uh, Hermiston, uh, Oregon. And so young Mason at 10 years old has come to trust Christ as a Savior. Some have been praying for him. We have him on our prayer list and some of have been praying for Mason and some of the others. She's able to lead him to Christ because she has uh, been able to uh, demonstrate a testimony of faithfulness. And so there's a confidence there in, in uh, Grandma that uh, is a, a testimony of years of faithfulness and so we can uh, each have an impact like that if we'll learn to be faithful to learn to power that influence on others Uh, joseph's brothers were just schemers i mean they were you know they were trying to figure out how to get rid of him and they were just schemers they're trying to make some money off of it and so forth it was only reuben the oldest brother that opposed their plan to kill him uh, and uh, he actually opposed their plan to sell him and so uh, he went and was gone for a while they had him down there Midianites came along, they made a deal, they sold him, and he was gone, and Reuben comes back. Where is he? He's gone. And Reuben's intention was to, to wait for the brothers weren't, weren't uh, you know, uh, involved, take him out of the well, get him back to his dad, and just, you know, kick him in the backside and say, get home, you know, little brother. That was Reuben's intention. And, you know, uh, Joseph never knew that. He never knew that. Uh, he thought they were all conspired against him. He thought Reuben was young. His oldest brother is the firstborn son. He thought Reuben was just as much guilty as the rest of them, he thought that for years and years and years and years, and uh, never never knew difference until uh, he had them there in the palace there in Egypt, and they're speaking in Hebrew. They don't under, they don't know that he understands the Hebrew, and they're talking about it. And Reuben speaks up and says, "I told you guys. I said you know we shouldn't have done that, and, and look what this mess has gotten us into. And I'm just as guilty, but uh, I was I didn't I wasn't party to that. And and Joseph's hearing all this, you know, and he's hearing that oldest brother Reuben tried to, uh, would have would have spared him all of that, would have uh, let him go back home. And his, the course of his life would have been entirely different, of course, if that had happened. But uh, now Joseph's looking back on that and he's saying, I, I didn't understand it then. In fact, he just broke down into tears. He was so overwhelmed by what he heard of Reuben that he had to go in another room and just weep and just burst out. Uh, you know crying uncontrollable crying and he, he dried his tears he comes back he gets composure of himself and goes back to the to the work at hand there with the, with his brothers um, but um, but the, the fact that uh, you know these brothers had for the most part been nothing but schemers and connivers uh, was uh, was what he knew them as that's how he knew him. he knew him as bitter, older brothers, angry, upset uh, against him, opposing what uh, he, believe that god was uh, was revealing to him, and so all of that was going on with his all of his brothers there the whole time and uh, yet uh, Joseph uh, comes out different than them and he remains uh, he remains um, he remains faithful but I want to say that it was his faithfulness that had the uh, remarkable impact on his brothers that that finally they finally came to the place uh, where they allowed another man's faithfulness to impact them to the point where they got right with God. And you can see it. They went from proud, self-sufficient uh, brethren to see, seeking forgiveness of their brother. And uh, we see the compassion of uh, Joseph as in verse 17, we read it there, how that he, uh, you know, wept because of their, their um, uh, seeking of forgiveness from him. We see his compassion there. We see this, these brothers moving from having bitter hearts about Joseph's uh, dreams and his ways and, uh, and his idea that they would ever bow down to him. We see them moving from that proud spirit down to this spirit of a servant's heart. And they fall at his feet and they say, we be thy servants. They had changed from proud hearts to servant hearts. Something uh, powerful affected them. And that was the powerful testimony of one man, their brother, Joseph. They now uh, see the hand of God in it all in the affairs of men. It's the providence of God that Joseph points out to them. He said, you meant it for evil, but look, God took it and meant it for good. He uh, had a purpose in it that was past our understanding. And that's what the providence of God is. You are going to be involved in the course of your life in the providence of God. God's going to do some things that you are completely unaware he's doing and set some things up that you're completely unaware he's setting up, and you're going to enter into that picture. And and, uh, when you come out on the other side, you're going to look back and say, I see the hand of God in that, why that door closed and that door opened, why this thing that I thought was the right way turned out to not be, and and I went another way that I thought would would be uh, unproductive, and yet God used that. The Lord's going to, uh, those kinds of things are going to happen all through the course of your life and mine. And it isn't until after we, in our uh, temporal condition, can look back on something that's already happened that we can see it. We can't see it coming up, and neither did Joseph, and neither did the brothers. But they, Joseph saw it all, it all came together in his mind when he realized why God had allowed all those circumstances to take place in his life. He got it. He understood it. And so he communicates this to his brothers. He said the providence of God was in it. The hand of God was in all this. Though you and I didn't know about it, the hand of God was in it. So who am I to hold a grudge against you? <laughs> and who am I to uh, to prosecute uh, your, your uh, lack of love for me? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to be what a man of faith should be to those that uh, have wronged him. And so he was fulfilling before Jesus ever spoke the words to love those that hate you and spitefully use you. He was fulfilling that in his life. So, uh, you know, here he was and he said, but one thing, fellas, he said, Make sure word gets out that when when Israel does leave, when this nation does leave up out of Egypt, that you dig up me my bones and take me with you. I don't want to be left here. So he didn't even want even bones left behind there. So you know they they made him a coffin. In verse 25 there Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, "God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence." So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. If anybody knows about embalming, it's Egyptians. They know how to do it. They can make those things last 3,000 years. And so uh, Joseph was put in a coffin in Egypt and uh, buried there in Egypt, but he said, don't leave me here. Egypt in the Bible is the type of the world, isn't it? And uh, coming up out of the world. He says, I, I don't want the resurrection to happen with me coming up out of a coffin in Egypt. He said, take it with you. Take it out of Egypt. And he wanted his bones to be taken with him. That was his desire and that was his testimony. Uh, what's the lesson there for us? The thought. There for us could be this. It said, don't put your roots down too deep in this world. Uh, Our roots are not here. We're pilgrims. We're just passing through. We just have tents, you know. Our stakes are not driven too deeply because we're going to be pulling up the tent again and moving on. Uh, to the other side. So uh, don't get, uh, you know, don't get the notion that everything that's anything is just uh, what we accomplish and what we gain in this world, because that's really not. And he got that. He understood that. He had a real uh, confidence in God's Word. Obviously, it it was true. And in Hebrews, 22, we, in Hebrews 11 and verse 22, we read that, that uh, he made mention of his bones uh, and he made mention of he, Israel going out, being delivered out of Egypt. He knew all that was to come to pass because God had ordained that and God had, uh, had declared that, that Israel would become a great nation and that they would be delivered out of Egypt into the promised land. He knew it would occur, though it didn't occur for 400 years. So his bones set in a coffin in Egypt for 400 years. And um, he knew that the day would come when they left. He knew also that Israel would remain a distinct people. He knew that. And that's one of the remarkable truths of the scriptures, of the veracity of the Bible, that uh, the promise that, uh, that Israel would remain a distinct people in spite of all of the oppression and all of the persecutions and all of the things that have gone against them over the years and they've brought a lot of it on them. They have. They, they brought the Babylonian issue on them. They brought the Assyrian issue on them. They, they certainly in their uh, stiff-necked and hard-hearted way have brought a lot uh, on themselves. And God made it clear to them. He said, look, I didn't choose you because you're the best, you know. Uh, you're hard-hearted. You're stiff-necked. You're rebellious. You're, you're uh, you know, you're always looking for uh, an angle. And, and he really got on Israel about that. So he didn't choose them because of them. He chose them because of his providential purposes for them, that he would through them send the word of God. And out of that stiff-necked, hard-hearted, rebellious people, there came some of the mighty men of God who God used in remarkable ways. And so uh, Joseph knew that 400 years was going to go by, or he knew that time was going to go by, and there was going to be a great nation that was going to come out uh and, and be delivered into the promised land he knew all that he knew also that they would remain a distinct people that they wouldn't just intermingle and intermarry and uh, by 400 years gone by they'd be just uh, people you know here in america we're intermingled and intermarried and we don't know where we all come from you know and uh Yet Israel retains a distinction that remains 2,000 years later, 3,000 years later, 4,000 years later, remains to this day. And so uh, it's a remarkable testimony of the veracity of the Bible. But uh, that's what he said. said. He said, I know you're going to be a distinct people, and I know that God is going to deliver you up, and I don't want you to leave my bones here in this place. So you take them with you. And uh, you bury him over in the promised land. So uh, he he knew that that day was uh, coming. Uh, Jacob had had told him of that uh, place, uh, of promise, and he didn't want his bones left there uh, in the exit. But look at look at Exodus, the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter thirteen. And let's get his bones up out of Egypt here. Let's dig them up. Let's do some digging here uh, and find a coffin, and uh, let's get it. Uh, picked up and headed out of there. Exodus chapter 13 and verse 19. When you have the uh, blessing of being able to go to Israel, you're going to be taken to the uh, cave of Machpelah. There is there now a, a Muslim influence, and so there's a mosque in that place, but you can still uh, go in, there's a Orthodox uh, a church in that place too, Greek Orthodox Church, but you're going to be able to go in still in that kind of Muslim-dominated area, but you'll still be able to go in. And inside the building is where they built the building over the top of uh, the uh, cave of McPelan. So you're going to be able to go in there and, and uh, you're going to be able to see the burial places of some of these patriarchs of old and, and, uh, uh, and be uh, amazed at the fact that you're able to stand the very places that you're reading about in the Bible. But in Exodus chapter 13, verse 19, we, we read of the account Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you. This is what uh, Joseph had said God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from hence with you. And so they took their journey to Sukkoth and encamped at Etham. And the edge of the wilderness, and so uh, the, the bones of Joseph are headed on up into the promised land, and and uh, the uh, the burial place was um, uh, the burial place of Abraham and Isaac and uh, Sarah and Rachel and Joseph there in Shechem, and you're going to be able to visit that place and see each of those separate and distinct uh, burial um, uh, the the sites where those persons are are still interred. In the cave of Machpelah. so uh, and Joseph's mother was there. Of course, Rachel was there. And uh, one day, when Jesus comes again, uh, Joseph and and, uh, and Jacob and Isaac and Rachel and and uh, the, the um, patriarchs are going to rise together out of that place, and and it's going to be a great day. So it all goes back to to Jacob in in, uh, in uh, Genesis chapter forty-seven and verse twenty-eight through thirty-one. And uh, that uh, that promise that uh, God gave that uh, there would be a great nation and that, that uh, uh, Joseph would have his bones taken out of that place and and uh, go to the Promised Land it's all there and uh, so we're we're um, coming to that place where the testimony of some dying men the faith of some, some dying men is is what's reflected here uh, in Acts chapter seven and verse thirty two it says they died and were carried over into Shechem and uh, laid, and he was carried over in Shechem and laid in the sepulcher. So uh, the, the, um, the desire of uh, Joseph was fulfilled. Don't leave my bones in Egypt. That ought to be your desire and mine too. Don't leave my testimony in Egypt. Don't leave my life in Egypt. Don't leave me stuck in a world Uh, let me be distinct from the world and let my testimony be one of faithfulness that I can have an influence on some others let's stop right there and and uh, what we're going to do now is going to have a a time of invitation but uh, before we do I want to read a a couple of verses of scripture here and uh, let's just have our pianist to come and uh, and we will